Hello. Thank you for being here. It's uh, Wednesday. What is it? The 6th? April 6th. And I was looking through a whole bunch of uh, notes today. I was working on something. Um, going, through a, going through notebooks from sermon notes from the past couple years. And uh, I'm horrible at dating things. I really wish I could make myself remember to put the date at the top of everything I do. I really need to do it. So I, I was going back looking through all kinds of uh, stuff, and I'm and I'm also I I'm I, I can't remember the things that I did. And if it wasn't for writing it down, you could come to me and say, you know, you preached a message about such and such. I'd be like. I don't know if I did that or not. <laughs> Y'all can't relate to that. <laughs> so I'm glad it's on CD. It's captured, and uh, you can prove it to me that I did something. I can go back and prove to myself that I covered the topic. And uh, But tonight, we're going to be in Galatians, so you can turn in your Bibles to Galatians. Galatians is a book that is about correction. Paul is correcting. You notice in Romans, it's a very doctrinal book. The letter to the Corinthians is a book on reproof, and Galatians is correction. So the reason that we're in this is because of the mystery parable of leaven that we've, that we've been talking about that's in Matthew 13. And Galatians is a perfect example through, all the way through, that uh, uh, an example of leaven or false doctrine being introduced. And like we said last time, the reason that Galatians is in our Bibles is because God knew that we would need it today. You would think that after this was written, you know, I've, I, I've, I've got people that I've had discussions with, because we don't argue, we have discussions, right? We just have discussions, and a lot of times I ask them, is, is Galatians still in your Bible? Do you have a Bible that just doesn't have Galatians in it? And you need to go back and read that. We don't really need to be discussing anything or arguing about it. You just go read your Bible and then be done with it. So we're in chapter 2. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the people who are in love with you and in love with your word. And Father, as we get into your word, I pray that the Holy Spirit will show us the meaning of it, help us to be better able to do what you've called us to do, to be your salt and light in this, in this, in this earth and world. And Father, that we would be able to show love to those who may be unlovable, those who need to be touched, Maybe the world is rejecting those that 
we should show the love that comes from you. Father, help us to do that. Help us to see those needs and to meet those needs. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Chapter 2, Paul says, Then fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Now, why was Paul, it looks like, why, why would he privately speak of this gospel to the people of reputation? What do you think about that? Um, Paul, it's very obvious that Paul has not spent much time with the other disciples, hardly any time at all. When he was converted, he went away. And then after a long period of time, then he goes and meets with the disciples, maybe you know just a couple of them, and he only spends a matter of days with them. Well, here it's talking about 14 years. He, he goes back up with Barnabas and with Titus, and he, he's got this gospel. Well, this, he didn't learn it from the disciples. He didn't learn it from all the others. But he went up by revelation. And Paul was extremely confident that what he was preaching was the real Word of God. Why? Because he got it by revelation. See, we might use that word today, oh, I got a revelation. You know, something, something uh, makes sense to you all of a sudden out of the Word. You're reading the Bible and all of a sudden, boom, it makes sense. And you say, oh, I got a revelation. Well, you really, you were just enlightened. You really didn't get a, get a revelation. So to get a, a Bible revelation would be to hear directly from God and for God to show you. Um, you're not going to get anything new that isn't already in the Bible. Now, you might get something. Holy, being a Holy, Holy Spirit-led person, you might get something for a, for a specific purpose. Uh, there's some really cool stories of people just getting things supernaturally that they can communicate to somebody to let them know God is real. So there's those things that could happen on an individual basis, but I would suggest you never get up and brag about it or say God spoke to you and you need to listen to me because God gave me something that he didn't give anybody else. That's just, that's not right. But when it comes to doctrinal issues and issues of reproof and correction, it's all in the good book right here. Now, you may be enlightened. Now, Paul, he, he got it by revelation. Jesus told him what this gospel was. And he, so, so he, goes to, he goes to these other disciples who have also received things from Jesus. Paul, even Peter said uh, about Paul, he speaks some things that are hard. There, there's some tough stuff. But he didn't say, don't listen to him. He said, yeah, you need to listen to him. And I, and I admit, that's tough. 
because God uses all His people. He uses us in different ways. We all are part of the body of Christ. If we're truly born again, then we are baptized into the body of Christ. And each one of us are a part of the body. Some of us have a gift of whatever or whatever, so you would be like a foot if you were taking the gospel somewhere. Uh, uh, evangelist has a gift that a pastor may not. Pastor has gifts that evangelist does not. And it takes all working together to do everything. Now, Paul was given certain things. Peter was given certain things. So, and, and, and all the others who wrote. There's like 40 different people throughout the scriptures who wrote things for God that were inspired by the Holy Ghost to write these things. Paul wrote quite a bit. Luke wrote a lot. Now, you know, people may say Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Did he really? You going to count every word? I mean, Luke wrote all of Acts. He wrote all of Luke. That's, a, that's two really big books. This Galatians here is real short. Colossians, very short. It's a lot of short. So when you take the number of books, yeah, by far, Paul wrote a lot. But did he, wrote, did he write the most? You can argue about that. You can have little arguments about whether he did or not. It's really, really close between, between him and Luke. Now, he, out of respect for the other apostles, he didn't just come into this situation and just start speaking out everything he knew to everybody. He first went to the other disciples and said, Look, this is what God gave me. And this is what, and, and made sure that they were all on the same page because they were the leaders. It was out of respect that he did that. He went and talked to those of reputation so that he wouldn't cause a division right away. Think about um, what this is all based on. This is based on legalism, keeping law, or strictly by grace. And if he came in blaring out all this stuff to everybody, then all of a sudden people are getting up in arms. What's he talking about? So all these people that have brought up these other people that have already established, they can already be forewarned what Paul was going to be jumping on everybody about. And then when those people started turning and looking at Peter and, and the others... They would, it, Peter would be like, yep, he's right on. He's right on. Listen to him. And then they'd be like, oh, oh, okay. But if Peter hadn't heard all this stuff before, and Paul starts saying all this stuff, Peter might be caught off guard. He's sitting back there all confused, and somebody goes, looks at Peter like, and Peter's like, uh. <laughs> then he'd have some doubts, and, and there might be some divisions popping up. All right, verse 3. But neither Titus... And I was, this is what I was referring to before. I, did, I was trying really hard. I, I, it might have been on this past Sunday, but I was trying really hard not to go back and talk about this when I was talking about uh, Timothy, where Paul wanted Timothy to be circumcised. Well, right here is the other side of it that I made mention of. 
But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So how are you spying out to find out if this guy is circumcised or not? This This is a little creepy to me. But back then you got to realize that the Jewish people were really into their religious rites, their rituals, those, all the things that went along with being a Jew. So we know that T- Timothy was, had a Greek father, a Jewish mom. Well, this guy, Titus, he's just all-out Greek. I mean, he's a Gentile. And so somebody had been trying to tell him, you're doing good by believing in Jesus. You, that, that's great, but you know, you really need to be circumcised. You need to keep the Sabbath. You need to not eat that, uh, that uh, pig off the smoker. You, 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 you all, started telling him all these things he really shouldn't be doing to be a really good follower of Jesus. But Titus knew better. He's like, no. Nah. And this is where Paul goes right along with him. He doesn't say, well, come on, Titus, you know, it's not a big deal. Well, that might be a very big deal. But he said, why not? Just go ahead and do it, no, you know, just to get along. No, this is a statement. This whole book of Galatians is about not going back to that type of thing. So he's, he's being persuaded Uh, by those who are in the wrong. Five, to whom we gave place, (laughs) this is a little bit of sarcasm, right? To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. Acted like, okay, yeah, maybe, nah, sorry, we're not doing it. That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seemed to be somewhat Whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. I like Paul. This is, this is some good, good stuff right here. Then he says, God accepteth no man's person, for they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. So is there two different gospels? Do you go out and give the good news a different way to the uncircumcised and then another way to the circumcised? No, it's just that one went to the Gentiles and you didn't... Really, it is different in the fact that, you know, the gospel message is the same as far as Jesus died on the cross, his blood was shed and in your place, but when you went out to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, they didn't know anything about the law. Paul had it easier, in my opinion, than Peter, because Peter had to go to the people who were trying to keep all this extra stuff. They were God's chosen people, and he had to go in and say, you got to leave that stuff behind. It's... it's uh, 
he would have to go and say, repent from your way of doing things. you got to go this way now. You go out to somebody who doesn't have a way, you don't have to say, repent. You just have to say, believe. You realize that in the uh, Gospel of John, the word repent in any of its forms is not there at all. And people say, oh, no, no, that's, that's an absolute requirement for salvation. So why do you tell new believers or people you're trying to win to the Lord to read John? Almost every person who's anywhere close to knowing the Bible, and you ask, if, if they were to be asked, which book of the Bible should I start with? Almost everybody says John. Well, if you really think that you have to repent... now it's kind of a tricky situation because you do have to repent from your way to God's way. But if somebody is really caught up in some otherworldly religion, you would say to them, you need to turn from that and go to Jesus. If they were into Judaism, like what's going on here, you would say, repent from that, turn from that way, and go this way. Repent is basically saying you're no longer believing that is right, you're, now you're believing that this way is right, following Jesus. So repent is just stating believing in a negative way. It's really the same thing. When, you tell someone, when somebody truly believes, they have repented. They've turned, because now they believe. But I just think it's interesting that the Gospel of John never once says repent. But look at how many times, go, go to, when you read John, look at how many times it says believe. Believe, believe, over and over and over again. Okay, eight. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. So you got uncircumcision, Gentiles. You have circumcision, which is the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And when James, Cephas, which is another name for Peter, James, Peter, or Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Well, there's another word for uncircumcision, heathen. Man, it's rough, rough on the, on the, on the uncircumcised. They're Gentiles, they're heathen, and, and then there, when we, if we, I don't know how far we're going to get tonight, but there's, some, there's another reference that we're going to see later that uh, refers to the Gentiles or the uncircumcised, which will be sinners. So they, the people of God, uh, the circumcision, the Jewish people, they weren't called sinners, even though they were. But the Gentiles, oh yeah, they're definitely sinners. <laughs> there's no question about that. Now here's... Now, now that, what is this right hands of fellowship? Is that where we get shaking hands from? Now, the Asian people, they don't want anything to do with shaking hands. 
they were germaphobes a long time ago. They just, they bowed each other, right? Well, here in America, we give the right hands of fellowship. Do we get it from this? Possibly. That might be why we do it. Or did uh, these, these guys, James, Cephas, and John, they were pillars. They were, they were what was holding up this new church. They were strong in it. Did they lay hands on them to, to basically, like a little ordination service or something, lay hands on them and send them on their way? And, and did, they didn't give them any real uh, great instructions. What did they, what's the only thing they did? Uh, verse 10, only they would that we should remember the poor. And then what does uh, Paul say about that? The same which I also was forward to do. So it was like, they're telling me to do something. Just, hey, we're sending you out. All we ask is that you remember the poor. And Paul's like, no problem, because I already had that covered. They were already on my heart. But when Peter was coming, <laughs> now here it gets changes. Now remember, Peter, James, and John, they, they are actually laying hands on them or giving them the right hands of fellowship, and they are pillars. They are somewhat, you know, they, they're something. They're the, the guys of reputation that he would go to and say, hey, guys, this is what God showed me. I just want to make sure you all understand before I preach it to everybody. Well, so Paul has been putting himself under them up until this point. Now look, look what happens. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, and when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So Peter was... Remember, uh, uh, he's already forgotten about that whole deal with Cornelius by now. He's already, because of certain people who showed up, so what he's been doing, basically what's said here is he smelled that uh, barbecue cooking on the smoker. <laughs> and he said, wow, that really smells good. And God did tell me not to call anything that, you know, he's made clean, unclean, and he said, rise, Peter, and eat. And I saw all kinds of stuff, you know, I, I, I'm good with this now. Yeah, I'll take some of that. So he's over there sitting with the, uh, the Gentiles. He's maybe eating some of that really good pulled pork. And he's, he's fellowshipping with them because there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, between bond or free. There's just no difference between all of this stuff anymore. They're one in Christ. He's doing good. But then somebody shows up, somebody from, you know, the Jews, the old way of doing things, and Peter got uncomfortable. He, it was almost like, I don't want to be seen. Maybe the word will go back that I'm, you know, hanging out with these heathen. <laughs> and uh, so, he changes. Well, that's hypocrisy, right? And Paul sees it. Now, why was it? It, it was not just Peter. P 
Peter was looked up to, so when he did this, others followed in line. Aren't we terrible as humans? We know better, but yet we are so concerned about what people think of us. We hate the thoughts of being ridiculed, and we will be easily moved to do something that we normally wouldn't do. Young people, we call it peer pressure. It's not just for them, it's for everybody. We all are under peer pressure. It takes somebody grounded in what's right to have more fear of God than of men. You need to be more like Elijah, being all alone, thinking everybody has deserted you, and you're still standing for God, and you think you're the only one left. We need to be like that. That's the way we need to be. When... When you go to an area where there's a whole bunch of people and you're, you're overdone, I mean, there's too many people that's on the other side, and you start to dwindle, and you're not bold anymore. Well, to be bold in that situation will make way more difference. Um, there's been situations where I've been in where the majority were doing wrong, I refused to do the wrong. This is when I was a teenager. This is before I was, I could say I was, I mean, I may have been born again. And, you know, I, I really believe, but I, there was, it was later in life before I really would be very uh, secure in my salvation because I believed on Jesus when I was little. I, mean, I can remember the uh, tape that my mom brought home from Glenver Baptist when I was a kid. And it was just a recording of the crucifixion. And it, it changed me. It changed me big time. So maybe that's why I had those, I, I, I did not go along with a lot of the crowd. But I can remember this one guy who was very much going, getting ready to go with the bad crowd. And because I did not go with, he saw somebody that he could stand with. I was the only one, and he was with me. Now, I, I know that it wasn't long after that, you know, he was right back with the crowd again. But for that one time, you know, he made a better decision. All right, this is what Peter was doing. He separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dis- dissembled, Likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas, even, even good old Barnabas, he's an awesome dude, but he was even influenced, also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Here we are correcting this problem, and now you, by your actions, are doing the exact opposite of what we're trying to teach. Our actions speak louder than our words. 
Our actions show everybody what we really believe, regardless of what we're saying. We can say all kinds of things, but what you actually do shows people what you really believe, right? 15, we who are Jews by nature, they were born into it, and not sinners of the Gentiles, there it is right there. I couldn't remember how far it was, but that's it. Sinners of the Gentiles. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. <clears throat> now this past Sunday, I don't know how people received that message because there's a whole lot of legalism in a whole lot of people. They were brought up that way. And I could kind of tell that there were some people who weren't quite sure about what I was saying. But you know what? I, it wasn't me saying it. I was reading out of the you know, Believer's Bible commentary. I was reading out of that. I was kind of, I wasn't reading it word for word. I was, but I was interjecting a lot of my own words in with it. But I read word for word out of this. So if anybody got real mad, I could say, hey, I'm just reading this guy. Which I agree with him. And, I, and, he's, and he, he kind of touched a nerve with me because I've, I've gotten caught up in some of this stuff. I've said some things, but it's religious stuff. And I've got to be careful not to get caught up into this, uh, be, you know, trying to add anything to the gospel. So, um, all right, where was I at? 17. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is there is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. No way. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. So don't... Don't leave your first love. Jesus is the only way for salvation. Don't go from there and try to build back what you've already done. And it's really what Jesus did. So, we're justified by Christ. For if, all right, uh, 19. For I, through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. 20. This is awesome, awesome verse. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's one of the, you, that ought to be a memory verse. You ought to know that one. Write that one down. Write it over and over again. And um, that should be in your mind and in your heart. And then he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness 
come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. That means he went to the cross for nothing. He just threw his life away. If there's any chance that I could be justified by the law, then Christ dying on the cross was nothing. So back up to 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Now, what would your answer be at Tenebrae service when you hear the song, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? Well, you should be saying, Yes, I was there. If you are a born-again person, you have been saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, all your sins have been washed away, then remember this verse, 20, I am crucified with Christ. So when you hear the song, were you there when they crucified my Lord? You should confidently say, yes, I was there. For the, I'm, I'm uh, going over here to Romans chapter 6, which most of you sitting in here, most of you, the majority have heard this recently because it's, it's, we've been going over this in Sunday school. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now go to... Uh, Colossians. Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ... Well, how can you be risen with Christ if you didn't also die with Him? Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Because we're hid in him, when he appears, we're going to appear. 
back up to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened, or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, or made us alive, together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit, in, sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Listen to this. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So, Never, ever try to earn your salvation. Understand that we were dead in sins and trespasses. There was no hope. The law, as, as much as your human body wants to keep it and try to do better, and you, you, you hold on to the law, then the more you realize that you can't do it, and you need a Savior. Again, which I, I've said many times, remember Moses. He brought the law down from Mount Sinai. Moses represents the law as great as Moses was and is. He represents the law. He was leading the nation of Israel around the wilderness, around and around and around. He couldn't get them out. He got them out of the bondage of Egypt, but he couldn't get them to the promised land because he represented the law. But there was somebody that came after him that God used to take the people through the Jordan into the promised land, and that was Joshua. And Joshua, the name Joshua means the same thing that Jesus' name means. Jesus and Joshua, that Joshua's a type of Christ. He's a type of Jesus. Joshua, Moses died in the wilderness because he represented the law. The law did a great thing. Moses did a great thing. It brought all those people right up to the Jordan. But that's what the law and our Bibles do. We love the law, we like it being in our Bibles, and it is a schoolmaster 
Next, uh, next time we'll be getting into all of that part of it. The law does its job. And when it does its job, you read it, you know it, you know the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> you might have it hanging up on your wall, and it shows you that you have not measured up. It's just a constant reminder that you have not done enough good to justify yourself. And it gets you turned and pointed to the Jordan, and when you get to the Jordan, then allow Jesus to take you through that death. death. Joshua taking the people into the Jordan River, that signified them going down into death and then coming up on the other side in resurrection, and then they were in the promised land. Joshua took them in. Only Jesus can take us in to that relationship with God, to our promised land, which is entering into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is available for anybody who believes and allows Jesus to take them in. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the shed blood. Thank you for your cross. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us look to the cross, look to Jesus, for he is the only way to get to you. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.